Well, you should be in your Bibles in Psalm 16 and also uh, in John chapter 20. Uh, I want to read in uh, Psalm 16, which is uh, Mitchum of David, starting at verse 9, that David, inspired by the Spirit of God, writes, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, speaking of Jesus, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then as we read the account of the resurrection in John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that as we cover these verses and and look at the account of the resurrection, we're so familiar with it, but Lord, we need it to be more real today than ever before. To be reminded that Jesus Christ has conquered sin and death And we are blessed. And we have a certainty that we are forgiven because he cried from the cross, it is finished. And he validated what he did on the cross, proving he's the son of God by conquering death and abolishing sin and death by his resurrection and now giving us a living hope. And I pray that it would be more real than ever before, that we would remember that the tomb is empty. And so, Lord, just bless our hearts as we go over this once again. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, David, a thousand years before the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's interesting that David, he was a mighty king, the greatest king that that Israel ever had. He was a great warrior. He was one that slayed giants. He was a great administrator. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. He was the one that had a heart after God. And we know that David wrote at least half of the Psalms, 150 Psalms in our Bible. He wrote at least half of them. And so David really would pour his heart out to the Lord. We've been looking at the Psalms of David over the last month, and it's been such a tremendous blessing. But David also, when we consider him, was a prophet because he would write concerning, first of all, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ uh, in Psalm 22, which is a psalm of David. Uh, I'll read some of it. As he, he is speaking of, he's prophesying Jesus being on the cross as he writes in chapter 22, verse 14, that I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. In other words, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, All of his bones would be out of joint. And if any of us had one bone in our body that came out joint, maybe you had an elbow or a shoulder or knee, it is very painful. Painful, but can you imagine your all your joints are are out uh, and uh, separated? My heart is like wax, and of course, uh, we on Friday in the Good Friday service in John's Gospel, we're reading how when Jesus breathed his last, that Roman soldier would come along, 
And he thrust that spear up into the chest cavity of Jesus. And when he pulled the spear out, out came the blood and the water. And it's indicative, medical uh, doctors will tell you, of a heart that was ruptured. He says, my heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a posture. My tongue clings to my jaws. And you've brought me to the dusk of death. They have pierced my hands and my feet. And so we, we read about it. It's absolutely amazing, this psalm. You can read it and perhaps read it to your, your children. And you can see that he's speaking very clearly about the crucifixion of Jesus. And then as we have just read in chapter 16 of Psalms, we know that it speaks prophetically of Jesus, of his resurrection. Peter on the day of Pentecost, when you read Peter giving that address to the people at the birth of the church, that he would quote this text, that for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption, saying that, that it's a reference to Jesus' resurrection, that God raised up the one who was crucified and put to death, having loosed, or that means destroyed, abolished the pains of death. And we're very familiar with the account of the resurrection. Perhaps you've read it many times, but we want to look at it once again. It's recorded, of course, in all four Gospels. And as we read all four Gospels, we know that, that the crucifixion of Jesus is recorded, the resurrection. We looked at Friday, as I've already mentioned, the crucifixion of Jesus. And it was Jesus from that cross that would cry out, it is finished, right before he breathed his last. Three incredible, impacting, powerful words. It is finished. After your sins and my sins were placed upon him and he made atonement for our sins, that he cried out, it is finished. I've done the work. I've paid the price. And the death of Jesus on the Christ is sufficient for forgiveness of sin and salvation as we now come in faith. And we know that when Jesus cried, it is finished, that Matthew records that the veil in the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place was rent in two or ripped in two. And Hebrews chapter 10 now declares to you and to me that we can come with confidence into the Holy of Holies because of the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews is declaring, because of Jesus' death on the cross, the veil has been rent, and now we can come into the presence of God in confidence. And it's not our own confidence. It is finished. Jesus did the work. We don't have to add to it. Sometimes people will come along and say, well, you've got to go to church. Uh, you've got to uh, worship on this day. You've got to be baptized. You've got to be confirmed. No, it is finished. Jesus did the work. The veil has been rent. And when we really make that our own, great joy will be in our hearts. And we can come in confidence, in confidence of the cross of Jesus Christ into his presence. That's what the Holy of Holies speaks of. And so as we know, Paul writes to the Corinthians that Jesus who knew no sin became sin for you and I that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And after Jesus would breathe his last, Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate, the governor of Judea, 
to ask for the body of Jesus. And John tells us, as we look at his account, that he was a secret disciple. He was a council member, and there was another individual that was with Joseph of Arimathea, and that was a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the one that came to Jesus at night in John chapter 3. He was a council member. He was the master teacher of Israel, and he would come with the burial spices. Joseph would come with the, the linen cloths to prepare the body of Jesus. We know that Mark tells us that Joseph took courage to ask for the body of Jesus. Jesus died a physical death. He was buried, his body physically put into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And Joseph would risk his position as well as Nicodemus and, and his position, his, his, you know, reputation, everything to ask for the body of Jesus. Crucified victims were not treated well. Usually they were just taken down and thrown in the garbage heap. And it's interesting to me that Jesus, even though he had stepbrothers and sisters, he had family that none of them or the disciples asked for the body of Jesus. But God in his wisdom had ordained that it would be Joseph. Joseph and Nicodemus, these two men, that would prepare the body of Jesus. And we know that as they took the body of Jesus down, they, they were preparing his body before the Sabbath would come. And then we read in chapter 20, verse 1, on the first day of the week, as we read it again, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. As we put the gospel accounts of the resurrection, we know that on that first day of the week, when it was early, Mark says when it was the break of dawn, that not only Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, but Luke's gospel tells us that certain other women came with her. There was Mary, the mother of James, Joanna. Mark tells us also that Salome came. And the reason that they came was to complete the process of applying the burial spices on the body of Jesus. We know, as I've already mentioned, that as Joseph and, and Nicodemus would prepare the body of Jesus, those women that were there at the cross, that they would stand afar off, as Luke's gospel tells us. They would not be right next to Nicodemus and, and Joseph. They would be uh, out of respect, and customarily, they would be away as they prepared the body. And as Jesus was put in linen cloths and, and strips of it and the burial spices prepared as Nicodemus brought them, he would be placed in a tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea, we know from the Gospels that he, Joseph, had a tomb that had never been used before. That's very important for us to understand because there was no other bodies in that tomb. And Joseph making a tomb there in a garden near Calvary, and we know that he would prepare Jesus, him and Nicodemus. They would put Jesus in the tomb. They would seal it with a large stone, the scripture says. And we also know that it was, as Matthew tells us, that the religious leaders went to Pilate and they said, we're afraid that the disciples are going to come and steal the body of Jesus away. We don't want that to happen. So can you please send a guard to watch the tomb? And Pilate answered by saying, you make the tomb as secure as you know how. 
So there was a guard that was set at the tomb. In other words, 12 to 16 Roman soldiers, 24-7, guarding that tomb. And they sealed the tomb, the, the gospel of Matthew tells us, with the Roman seal. And anyone who would come along and try to break that seal, roll away the stone, and try to steal the body of Jesus away, uh, immediately, of course, they would be arrested by those Roman soldiers, and, and, and they would be in big trouble. And that's why there are those, the skeptics of the resurrection that come along, and they come with a theory saying, well, the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus away. And uh, we know that Matthew dismisses that account. So here is the tomb, sealed with the Roman seal, the stone in placed in front of the tomb, and the soldiers are there. And we know that when the women came to the tomb, that again, we look at the gospel accounts, that they're coming, they're wondering who's going to roll away the stone from the tomb. They had no idea that the Roman soldiers are there because Matthew tells it that only Pilate knew, only the religious leaders knew. I don't think the disciples knew. They're hiding. The, the women that are coming to apply the burial spices to finish that process because they were in a big hurry before the Sabbath came. Jesus was on the cross from 9 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. So they had to take his body down, prepare his body before sunset. They're coming along to complete the process of of applying the burial spices on the body of Jesus. They're wondering who's going to roll away that, that huge uh, stone. They don't know Roman soldiers are there. They don't know that it's been sealed. If they would have known, I don't think they would have come. And all of a sudden, as we get the accounts, that there was a large earthquake. And an angel, a mighty angel, Matthew says, came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And those Roman soldiers, these, these fighting men, when they saw that, they were like dead men, the scripture says. They were full of fear. They, they fled. And I just wonder, as the women were coming to the tomb, if they didn't see these soldiers running by them wondering, what is that all about? What are they afraid of? So now John, he picks up the text after all that happened. The Roman soldiers are gone. Um, the, the angel sitting on top of the stone, this mighty angel. Uh, and we see that on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb uh, again early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now Luke tells us that they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, that then they went in, and they didn't find the body of Jesus. The women were very perplexed. As they saw that the body wasn't there, they didn't say, oh, it's the resurrection, of course. Even though Jesus had been speaking to his disciples about his crucifixion and about his resurrection, they didn't understand even at this point. And these women, they're not looking for the resurrection. And there's two angels that stood by them, as we know that Luke's narrative tells us. And they said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. What they were saying to those women, those two angels, are, is why are you in a place of the dead looking for the one who is alive? For the one who is risen. It's like the angels are perplexed that these women would be doing this. 
Don't you remember what he declared that he would be crucified and, and rise again after three days? Don't you remember that? They would go on to say. Why do you seek the living one among the dead ones? Today we know people, don't we? That they will do that. They, they, in their hurt and in their grieving, when a loved one has passed on, uh, they'll have seances to try to talk to their dead relatives. They'll go to some occultic practices. There is in people's lives that have not embraced the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that there is a deadness that is in their heart and in their souls. And if there's anyone that you're listening right now that there is hope and there is truth and comfort to be given to you. That Jesus Christ conquered sin and death by rising from the grave. And we as Christians, we are blessed because we believe in a risen Savior, not a dead Savior, in a living Savior. The incredible price that he paid on the cross so that we can have this incredible living and real relationship and fellowship with him. And if you are listening, if you've never come to Jesus Christ and asked him into your heart and for forgiveness, you can do that. And you can have that intimate fellowship and relationship with the Father that comes through Jesus as we spoke uh, and looked at the, the uh, account of Jesus in the upper room, giving words of comfort to his disciples that they didn't understand everything that was going on. They were confused. And Jesus said, don't be troubled in your hearts. You believe in God, believe in me also. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I go and prepare a place for you. And the way you know, because I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And it is salvation and forgiveness of sin and right relationship with the Father that is found in believing in Jesus. He is your hope, and he is inviting you to come to know that the tomb is empty and that he loves you and he died for every one of your sins. And you can have a living hope you can have the assurance that heaven is real and that you're going to spend eternity with the Lord as you come and ask him into your heart and for forgiveness. So here, John, now he picks up the text that, that we're going to look at in chapter 20 of John in verse 2. I'm going to read it to you. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That would be John. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. And so they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, that was John, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. 
Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Matthew tells us that when they discovered that the tomb was empty, the women, they went and told the disciples that he had risen from the grave. And we read in Matthew's account that they went out quickly from the tomb with fear but with great joy. The very first missionaries are these women with the greatest news in the history of the world. And it, it is the news that we need to tell the world. The world needs to hear this more than ever, especially today. The good news that Jesus Christ is alive and the tomb is empty and he is real. And salvation is possible and forgiveness of sin by coming in faith to him. The world needs to hear our voices, Christians. And even as David, a thousand years before this, as he would write, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices, as he writes. Uh, and he is expressing joy and rejoicing, and we can too, a gladness of heart, because we know that the tomb is empty that we can have great joy in our hearts. Joy is something that the Lord wants us to have, even in the most difficult of times. You know, some of the, the popular messages in the church before all this happened, before this year began, was God wants you to be happy and, and just wants you to be happy. And, and we're all for happiness. But right now, a lot of us are not happy because happiness are dependent upon circumstances. You may be concerned. You may be hurting. You may feel lonely, isolated. You're uh, concerned. There's uncertainty that is out there. But underneath all of that, the Lord desires to give us something much richer and deeper and that is joy just that confidence and that peace and assurance that you love me Lord and you are with me and I can rest in your love and I can stand on your promises and there's a joy unspeakable and that's what they had just this joy even though they're trying to, to figure all this out they know that the tomb is empty they, they have great joy that is in them and David expresses that my heart is glad and my glory rejoices and then my flesh also will rest in hope he says secondly uh, it means to dwell securely in hope because he rose from the grave. He validated what he did on the cross. And Peter, who ran to that tomb, would later in his life, of course, write in 1 Peter chapter 1, that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the hope of heaven. Not that I hope, but that I do go to heaven as I believe in him and ask for forgiveness. I hope that there is a heaven. No. But hope in the scripture speaks of a coming certainty that it is sure that we have that hope. We dwell securely in our salvation because we come to him, because it is finished. And then verse 10 speaks of the resurrection of Jesus, as we've already read, but I'll read it again. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. It is Paul that also would quote from this, speaking of Jesus' resurrection in Acts chapter 13. And then in verse 11, And you will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and your right hand are pleasures evermore. I think that, that thirdly, the way to have that fullness of joy that I just spoke about is that you keep in his presence. Listen, 
keep listening to the live stream services because the tendency can be, I'm just going to kind of fade away. Keep reading your Bibles. You're going to find comfort in the scripture. Keep going to the Lord. And in this time where there's a pause right now, the Lord desires to, to really touch your heart and, and for you to draw close to him. And as you do, as you begin to just continue to pray and to read your Bible and listen to Bible study, that you're going to see that the Lord is going to make himself more real to you. And you're going to have that joy unspeakable. You want joy, and I think all of us have, and that is in your presence, Lord, is fullness of joy. That's how we can have it. And he goes on to say, at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Maybe the things that you love to do, you can't do in recreation or going places. I know for me that it's the same, and especially with spring coming up. But one of the things that I'm learning to a greater degree is this. That if any of us want pleasure in the best sense of the word, then I'm finding out that it's not really truly found in the world, but by being at his right hand. Stay close to the Lord. Listen, stay close to him. Continue to, to fellowship with him, to know him, to love him, to walk with him. And then one more note on this Resurrection Sunday that I think is important from John chapter 20. As we read, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she knew that the body wasn't there that Jesus has written. In these dark times, while it's still dark, that we need to continue to come to this tomb and be reminded that he is alive and that he is our hope and he is our joy and our comfort and we have a glorious future. You will have tribulation, right? But be a good cheer, I've overcome the world. And this is all leading to a glorious, glorious reunion that we will have when we go home to be with the Lord, when he comes for his church. I'm looking forward to a glorious reunion when we're together again. But we have truly the most blessed news declared to us, and we've embraced it, and we can declare it to others that in the dark times that we're in, there is light and truth and there is hope, and that is the tomb is empty. Keep coming to the tomb. And remember the blessed hope that we have in Christ Jesus. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for, Lord, the, the reminder that the tomb is empty. We celebrate this Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate it every day. And I pray that the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus would never lose its impact in our lives. That every day we would be thankful. And, Father, I do pray. That if anyone is listening right now, is join us and, and that you've never come to Jesus Christ, that you would understand that he rose from the grave to give you hope. He died for your sins because he loves you. The greatest need of any man or any woman is to be forgiven of sin because the wages of sin is death. Death and sin has come to every man ever since Adam. But Jesus, the righteous one, 
came and with his righteous act made atonement for your sins. All of your sins were placed upon him and then he cried out, it is finished. He was put into the tomb. He rose again and he's at the right hand of the Father and he loves you. And the Bible says that as you come and confess that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness and ask Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior, coming in faith, believing who he is and what he did for you, that you will be saved, you will be forgiven, and you'll come into right relationship with the Father because Jesus said that no one comes to the Father except through me. And you'll be born again by the Spirit of God. You'll have the assurance of that place that Jesus has gone and prepared for you. Will you come right now where you are? And you can pray sincerely in your heart that Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me, and, and I thank you. And I believe you're alive, speaking to my heart, and I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior, and I thank you. I thank you for giving me this hope, the hope of heaven, forgiveness of sin, and right relationship with the Father. I thank you for bringing me into the family of God and for this new beginning. And I do want to know you. I want to have a fullness of joy in your presence. I want to walk with you. I want to grow in your word. I thank you for this message in Jesus' name. And listen, if anyone prayed that prayer, get in contact with us. Let us know because we want to follow up and we want to bless you and encourage you. But for all of us, Father, I just pray for all of us that are in the middle of this, this very, very difficult time. The whole state, the whole nation, the world is feeling it. I want to pray, first of all, for... Lord, our community, our county that has been hit so hard. I know that there are people out there listening that they have loved ones and friends that have been affected by this virus. I pray for healing that, Lord, that you would just um, begin to, to heal this land, our county, Lord, our nation, the world. But, Lord, I pray that there would be a coming to you, a great awakening, how we need you, that you are real. And Lord, I pray that we would be a light and truth to others. I ask that you would help those who have need. Perhaps with their jobs they've lost, they have financial needs, with their business, just the loneliness, the isolation. So much has been uprooted and taken away in so many different ways. I pray that you would bring just the comfort that we need. And Lord, that we would know that this COVID-19 and all that comes with it isn't going to win. You win. Because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. I pray that we can gather once again here soon. But in the meantime, Lord, just strengthen us. Be the lifter of our head. Be that place of stability and strength. And Lord, help us be a voice to others that are around us. I thank you for this morning. Bless everyone here today and this week guide us and direct us in every way and it's in jesus name that we pray amen amen god bless you looking forward to wednesday night seeing you and in the meantime have a blessed resurrection sunday